0: Hey everyone, before we start, I wanted to let you know if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website. That's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Uh, so for the past few weeks, we've been starting every service uh, just with a time of uh, silence and prayer for the conflict uh, in Ukraine and Russia. Uh, and in times like this. Uh, it can feel like that's not enough. It feels like we should be able to do more. Uh, And the only condolence we have for that is that we serve a God who we believe moves through prayer, uh, who we believe is more powerful than us, um, who we believe has an effect on this world even when we can't. Uh, So we'd like to take a moment of just silence um, out of respect for the conflict in Ukraine and Russia, and then I will lead us through prayer. Uh, Let's just take a second real quick. Uh, Father, in in times of powerlessness and uh, sometimes hopelessness, all we can lean on is you. Uh, God, we pray for uh, conflicts in in Ukraine and Russia and really all around the world, God. We pray for your peace. We pray for your mercy. We pray for your guidance. and um, God, we pray that the things that we don't understand this side of heaven, Lord, that you would just uh, continue to assure us that you are moving in them even when we don't always see it. God, we pray for an end to hostilities. We pray for safety. And God, we thank you. Amen. Uh, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jacob, and I'm one of the pastors here at Discovery. Um, we are in this series Uh, called Party On, uh, which is an odd transition from what we just talked about, let's be honest, Um, where we are going through festivals and ceremonies in the Old Testament. Uh, And I'm pretty excited to talk to you guys about today about a festival or ceremony that I'm betting most of you know very little about. Uh, So I want to start with a story about a hike. Uh, A few years ago, I had a buddy who asked if I wanted to go on a hike. Uh, And of course, I said, yes, we live in Colorado, it's gorgeous here, and who doesn't like to go out into nature every once in a while and literally smell the roses? So I asked for details. He said we'd go on a hike up in Chautauqua and Boulder. I was like, that sounds great. I did a quick Google search and saw that Chautauqua has their trails listed from like easiest to hardest. So I texted him back and I said, great, which one are we going to do? And he goes, well, of course, we're going to do like one of the hardest ones. And I was like, of course we are. That sounds awesome. And I said, great, what, what other details do you have? He said, hey, I'll pick you up Saturday morning. I'm like, great. He goes, at five on a Saturday. And I was like, that sounds terrible. And I know there are some of you in here who are like, that's just normal. That's what we do. You go hiking early. You catch sunrise or birds or something. But you're probably the same people who like run past me on the trail and I secretly hate you for a minute. And I, I don't actually, but for that moment, it's It's brutal. So he picks me up at 5 o'clock on a Saturday. We get there. It's early. It's cold. And we start hiking. Now, I know there are some of you in here who are in great shape. um, And I am a slight bit on the larger end. So, within a few steps into the hike, my legs were burning. My chest was burning. I was focused on just putting one foot in front of the other in what I will call a trudge. Head down, push through, don't talk, and get through this. And of course, the guy who invited me is one of those runner people who could like jog to the next trailhead, come back, never look like he needed to catch his breath. But luckily for me, there was another guy on the trip with me, uh, another big guy, we'll call him Jay. And after a while, he called for our first break. And I was like, well, man, I guess if you need it, I guess I can stop too. (laughs) And I sit down and pray to God that my heart doesn't stop. So I'm sitting there, and for the first moment on this hike, I just saw how beautiful it was. Uh, Again, remember the trudge, my head was down. I wasn't seeing much of anything other than my feet. Um, See, I'd get so focused on just moving uh, that it'd be hard for me to see the rest of the trail. Uh, The hidden waterfalls, the the flower-filled meadows, the outcroppings of rock next to the trail or that went over the trail. Uh, But when I stopped and got a chance to see them, they were gorgeous. Uh, To make a long story short, we continued to hike, and I soon realized that Jay thought I was in better shape than I was, and so he continued to ask for breaks, and I never had to. So I just looked like I knew what I was doing. When we got to the top, he said, man, I got to tell you, I'm really impressed. You were just like a machine out there. You looked like you never needed a rest, and I was like, yeah, I'll be honest. I just needed to beat you. Like, every time you stopped, I was ready to die. So, Pro tip for any of you who are not hikers, if somebody invites you to go hiking, just grab somebody at about your fitness level and just beat them. It feels great. Um, My other buddy, Nathaniel, it wasn't even worth trying with. Uh, We went to a place called Royal Arch in Chautauqua. Has anyone ever been there? It's gorgeous. We have a few pictures up here. Um, Beautiful view. Uh, One of the few times in my life that I would say like, the scenery took my breath away. Uh, You're sitting up above the world. Uh, You see birds flying beneath you. Um, You catch those moments of like perfect silence that we actually never really experience in our lives. Um, Everything that my buddy Nathaniel promised me about the view came true. Uh, He had been very clear, like if we can just get to the end, you will love it. When you're invited to go hiking in Colorado, the ultimate goal is the summit. Or barring that, the place with a great view. You bust your butt, you push through, some of you even run up the trail. You're rewarded at the end with this majestic view where you begin to understand phrases like the glory of God's creation. But we're remiss if we think the only point of the hike is the summit. What about the side trails? The journey? Uh, The animals that we see along the way, those hidden waterfalls, uh, the little gorgeous meadows, the wildflowers along the trail, or again, those perfect quiet places where you can rest and not be bothered. The summit may be the main goal and what we strive toward on a hike, but the hike itself brings so much value, it puts it all in perspective. And that, in my opinion, is one of the best summaries we can give for the series that we're currently in. So, if you are a Christian here today, or if you are not, um, I'll let you know that if you look through the pages of the Bible, there's a God that loves us, uh, and he calls us to relationship and eternity. He says, If you put your trust in me, you will have eternity with me, eternity free of sickness, eternity free of sorrow. Eternity filled with joy, Uh, but when we look at Scripture, God never says, hey, I've promised heaven, I've promised eternity, so make sure you get there as fast as you can. Or I've promised eternity, so all of this right now, this is just a holding pattern. This is just kind of ho-hum. This is just kind of the place that we wait before we get on the plane. No, God created this for us. He created these touch points, these meadows, these wildflowers to recognize who he is. Uh, and today we are stopping in a meadow. And it's a meadow that I think most people know very little about. Uh, and if we take a second to breathe it in, we have the opportunity to realize just how glorious what God created for us is. Uh, today we're going to be talking about something in the Old Testament called the Festival of Sukkot. Now, before I go any further, I have to ask, and regardless of how you respond, I won't call you up here. Who in here thinks that they know enough about the festival of Sukkot that they could come up and give a good explanation to the congregation? Is there anyone who thinks they know? That's gonna make my job really easy. Like, I can say like anything. You guys will have no idea. That was zero. In my notes, I put at least four. So you guys are the under. Um, (laughs) Take that as okay, because about six weeks ago, I was in the under as well. I'm not gonna lie to you. Uh, as we jump into Sukkot, I want to drop something really quick that we're going to pick up later. This is going to be important as we talk about Sukkot and what God created and really should just sit in the back of your head for the rest of this message. I want to talk about citizenship and what citizenship entails. Um, And before anyone's skin begins to crawl or their shoulders tighten up, there's nothing political or soapboxy about this at all. This is no talk about citizenship here. Um, but it is a question about what citizenship means to you because it's one of the main points of Sukkot. Here's a few questions I want you to file away as I talk today. One, where do you declare your citizenship? Is citizenship where you live or where you're from? And as a citizen, what are your responsibilities? Basic questions. Where do you declare your citizenship? Is it where you live or where are you from? And as a citizen, what are your responsibilities? All right, hold on to that as we keep going. So Sukkot is this beautiful festival that we see throughout the Old Testament, even into the New Testament. In fact, as we'll talk in a few minutes, this is one of these festivals we actually see Jesus attend, and we get to hear some of what he thinks about it. Um, Now, recognizing that most of you in here don't know what Sukkot is or know much about it, um, I want to give you a chance to fact-check me after this week. And after this week, if I have anything I said wrong or offensive, my email is zach at dc2.me. That's not true, but you can find me on the website. You can email me. Um, I have a slide here with some Sukkot references that I'll throw up. Um, You're welcome to take a picture. You're welcome to check it out. When you look through your Bible, you'll also see the Festival of Booths or the Festival of Tabernacles. And it pops up all throughout scripture, all the way from the beginning, all the way into apocalyptic literature at the end. See, throughout the Old Testament, there were a number of festivals. And of these festivals, there were three that required pilgrimage. Uh, Pilgrimage meant that every male Jew was expected to travel to Jerusalem and celebrate together. Uh, Sukkot was one of them. These weren't things you did on your own. And as a pilgrimage festival, you can assume it was going to be bigger than standard festivals. Uh, Sukkot is referred to as the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles, and it's an eight-day party. It celebrates the gathering of the harvest and commemorates God's protection he provided for the children of Israel when they left Egypt. It's a memory and celebration of God sheltering his people for 40 years in the desert during the exile. And it begs two questions we have to think about. Where is the home we truly seek? And where is the true shelter in our lives? See, the people, if you you don't know your kind of biblical history, the people of Israel, they were captive in Egypt. And when they came out of Egypt, they traveled through the desert for 40 years, and they lived a nomadic life. In fact, it's fascinating. If you ever open up your Bible and take a look from Exodus all the way to the beginning of Joshua, and you see these laws and rules set down, you can start to break these laws and rules into this is what God wanted for all time, and these are kind of what you needed to govern a nomadic people. And these were the nomadic people for 40 years. When we pick up in Ezekiel and in John and in later parts where they are celebrating Sukkot, uh, these people now live in cities. So God wanted them to remember a time that things weren't as permanent, when they were wanderers, and when their shelter and their provision came from God, and not from themselves. So here's what it looked like, and actually still looks like today for Jewish people who practice. Uh, the people build sukkahs, and they live in these temporary booths for eight days. Even today, all of your meals are eaten there, and for those who are able, they even sleep in the sukkahs. The sukkah is intended to be a flimsy with at least three walls and covered with loose vegetation. I'll throw up here a couple of examples that are kind of modern versions. So they are meant to shelter you. They are meant to slightly keep out the elements, but they're not meant to look permanent. Uh, They're meant to be reminiscent a little bit of the tents that they had to stay in, of the structures they had to build while being nomadic. And so the people would come and they would live in these for seven to eight days. They would eat their meals here. They would be reminded of what they do. And if we look into Leviticus, we're going to see an idea of exactly what Sukkot looks like. So if you have a Bible, we're going to jump into Leviticus 23, verses 33 through 44. Uh, And if not, it's going to be up on the screen behind me. Leviticus 23. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the the fifteenth day of the seventh month, and lasting seven days, There shall be a festival of booths to the Lord. The first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not work at your occupations. Seven days you shall present the Lord's offerings by fire, and on the eighth day you shall observe a holy convocation and present the Lord's offerings by fire. It is a solemn assembly, and you shall not work your occupations. These are the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you shall celebrate as times of holy convocation for presenting to the Lord offerings by fire, burnt offerings, grain offerings, sacrifices, and drink offerings each on its proper day. Apart from the Sabbaths of the Lord and apart from your gifts and apart from your votive offerings and apart from your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord. Now the 15th day of the seventh month, when you've gathered in the produce of the land, you shall keep the festival of the the Lord lasting seven days, a complete rest on the first day and a complete rest on the eighth day. On the first day, you shall take the fruit of majestic trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a festival of the Lord seven days in the year. You shall keep it in the seventh month as a statute forever throughout your generation. You shall live in booths for seven days. All that are citizens in Israel shall live in booths so that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed festivals of the Lord. Eight days, and it starts with Sabbath. Uh, In fact, it starts with Sabbath, but the Bible calls it uh, take a day of full rest or complete rest Uh, And I laughed when I read this, especially thinking that this is a festival of pilgrimage, which means you would have thousands, tens of thousands of people coming together. And I picture personally these really driven people like my wife who are like putting everything together and preparing for this eight day festival and all these people coming in and setting up all these booths. And God says, hey, that's great. But the first day rest and do no work. And I would almost guarantee you do not have everything done by that first day. When you take a hard look at Sabbath in the Bible, you realize that God is the God of not getting stuff done at times. And that's a good thing. Uh, In fact, there's something there for us all to take away as we've been looking at Sabbath for the last three months. Um, God intentionally, I think, Throws Sabbath in places to prevent us from getting everything done, and that's a good thing. So for the next six days, there are offerings, sacrifices, prayers, and celebrations. They involved food offerings, burnt and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings. They took from luxuriant trees and celebrated with them, palms, willows, and other leafy trees. They lived in temporary shelters, just like they lived in when they were coming out of Egypt. A sin offering was given every day, a goat without blemish, as perfect a sacrifice as we can offer for the sins that we have done that have separated us from God, both those that we knew about and that we didn't. Uh, As we go further into Deuteronomy, we see that they say the sin offering is given every single day. Remember the sins that you knew about and didn't, and sacrifice this goat to your God. Each person brought gifts to the Lord based on how they'd been blessed that year. And each day was intended to remind the people of God who watched over them, protected them, and who ultimately provides for them even when they are out of exile. It is to honor and celebrate God and to show sacrifice and worship because of it. And on the eighth day, there was Sabbath again. Now what's fun is this is one of the few festivals we see that we actually see Jesus attend. And we see what he thought about it. Throughout scripture, we see Jesus have this interesting relationship with many practices in the Old Testament. Um, he came and said he was not going to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But there were times that he worked on the Sabbath, um, accepted worship in place of God, upended the general workings of the temple, upended the religious rulers of the time. So as we step into Sukkot, it's interesting to see how he approached this holy holiday. Uh, We're going to pick this up in John 7, if you have a Bible, Uh, and we'll end up reading through most of John 7. Start in John 7, verse 2. Now, the Jewish festival of booths was near, so his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may also see the works you are doing. For no one who wants to be widely known acts in secret. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify against it that its works are evil. Go to the festival yourselves. I am not going to this festival, for my time has not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone to the festival, then he also went, not publicly as it were, but in secret. Jesus is with his brothers, and there's this trend you'll see. Oftentimes it talks about Jesus' family, uh, which is interesting. When we talk about Jesus, we often talk about the divinity of Jesus and that he is God. When I mention that he accepts worship in place of God, he accepts worship because he is God, and so as you see Jesus beginning to do these miraculous things in his ministry, his family looks at him and kind of says, hey, you're, you're kind of putting yourself out there and we don't know why. Like you're talking this really big game, but we don't see it. We grew up with you. Like, we know who you are. We don't know that this is really true. Jesus uh, wasn't believed much by his family, especially in the early days. We'll jump down to verse 14. About the middle of the festival, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews were astonished at it, saying, how does this man have such learning when he has never taught or never been taught? Then Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but it is who sent me. Anyone who resolves to do the will of God will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own. Those who speak on their own seek their own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and there is nothing false in him. Finally, we'll jump down to verse 37. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit which believers in him were to receive for as yet there was no spirit because Jesus had not yet been glorified. When they heard these words, some in the crowd said, this is really the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. Some asked, surely the Messiah does not come from Galilee, does he? There's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot of imagery, references and foreshadowing of what's to come Jesus comes in the middle of one of Israel's most holy ceremonies, and begins to teach with authority. An authority so great that the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, and the soldiers in charge refuse to take him from the stage. Um, there's something real there. And then at the end, on the great day, the final day, Jesus gets up and starts referencing scripture these people probably knew all about. Uh, like Jeremiah 2:13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. The people have forsaken me. They have dug their own cisterns, but I bring living water. He began referring to Scripture. These people probably would have known referred to an understanding of salvation in the end times, like from Ezekiel 47, 9. And ultimately, Jesus declared he was the Messiah, the one sent from God for the salvation of man. And he was the fulfillment of what they'd been waiting for. Uh, As an aside, and this doesn't quite make it into what I talk about today, uh, there's a guy that shows up in this passage a little later, about five verses after we ended, a guy named Nicodemus. Um, If you want something to look at, last week Zach talked about, for those of you who want to jump into your Bible but don't know where to start, I have somewhere for you to start. Or if you've been reading your Bible for years, I have somewhere for you to go. It's right here, uh, the story of Nicodemus. He shows up three times in the New Testament, uh, and his story is incredible. Uh, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Uh, Nicodemus is a guy who has the answers, he knows what he's talking about. And in fact, in John 3, he goes to get into a theological debate with Jesus. And by John 19, when Jesus is crucified, he's one of the people who's helping dress the body for burial. And every time they refer to this guy Nicodemus, uh, see, when you look through the Bible, there are times where you'll see the same name multiple times, and you have to wonder if it's the same person. Like, there are multiple Marys throughout the New Testament. But every time they refer to Nicodemus, it's Nicodemus, the one who met with Jesus. Um, So I encourage you to check this story out. It's incredible to watch from beginning to end. You actually get to watch a person's journey of salvation. So what do we do with this? We have a Jewish festival, which let's be honest, uh, most of us have never heard of before. There are temporary structures, times of celebration, prayer, sacrifice, and living in remembrance of the question, where is the home we truly seek and where is the true shelter in our lives? We have Jesus interacting and referencing himself as the fulfillment of what God created as the Messiah. So as a Christian or as someone checking out the claims of Christ in 2022, what is our next step? Are we expected to follow this festival? Are we expected to do something with this? Or are we expected to think about our citizenship? Where do you declare your citizenship? Is citizenship where you live or where you're from? And what are your responsibilities as a citizen? As you look through the New Testament, uh, there's this guy named Paul, um, and he talks about citizenship all the time. Whether he's talking about legal adoption laws in Rome and how that relates to our adoption by God, the status of a Roman citizen and Paul's rights as a Roman citizen and when he willingly gives them up for others, or whether it's about Christians considering their own citizenship, Paul talks about it a lot, and each of these topics is so, so theologically dense, they all deserve their own time. When I was a youth pastor, there was a common occurrence which I loved— uh, we would often have high school students who would pop into our youth group one night who didn't believe in God. Uh, they didn't believe in anything we taught, but they, they knew they were right and they wanted to challenge the youth pastor. Um, and so they would come with their theological questions, or arguments. It was amazing. I really enjoyed it. I had so much fun with it. Um, they would bring questions, these hard topics like, hey, I've tried praying and I don't hear anything back. What do I do? Have you ever thought about that, Jake? I'm like, of course I've thought about that, like a lot. Or, hey, I have this question I'm sure you've never considered. Like, why do bad things happen to good people? I'm like, I think I wake up with that question like every day. And they would ask these tough questions, and we'd get into these discussions. It was one of my favorite parts of my job. Uh, We had this student come one time, and he came, and he challenged me with a bunch of questions. And I answered them. We had fun. And he continued attending for a few years. One night I was talking about what the Bible says about citizenship and what it says about us. I ask questions like, how do citizens of Germany differ from citizens of China? And how do citizens of Canada differ from citizens of Ecuador? What are their requirements, expectations? How do they live? What is their culture like? I mentioned a verse in my sermon, Philippians 3.20. It goes like this. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Afterward, we jump into small groups. And I asked what was seemingly an innocuous question, which was if you considered yourself a citizen of heaven, and this was just a temporary home, if that's where you're from and you're just here temporarily, how would that affect the way you live? And it was fun. I go around, I've got six people in my group, five people who grew up in church, and then this other guy. And the answers were um, I would be different. Or, that would be cool. Or, what does that mean? Or, I didn't listen to your message. And I get around to all of them. And I get to this last kid, and he's a junior in high school. He's staring at the ground. He looks up with tears in his eyes and he says, Jake, if that's true, then my entire life would have to change. If this is just temporary and I am a citizen of heaven, I would have to change the way I interact with people, I'd have to change the way I live. And ultimately, I'd have to be looking forward to going back home. It was one of those powerful moments in ministry. And over the next few weeks, and a lot of conversation, that student came to put their faith in Jesus because he recognized that if this was temporary and ultimately, if he was a citizen of heaven, that was life-changing. I'm gonna invite the band back out. I'm gonna ask this question. Where do you declare your citizenship? Is citizenship where you live or where you're from? And what are your responsibilities as a citizen? Uh, The Bible declares that we are citizens of heaven, adopted by the king of heaven. And this should comport the way that we live our lives. When I look at these festivals we've been studying, do you know what I've noticed? Uh, There's a God who recognizes that we are in constant need of reminding who we are and whose we are. A God who created touch points in order to say, hey, don't forget where I brought you from and where I'm bringing you to. And don't forget that ultimately this is a temporary home. You're a citizen of somewhere so much better. And one of his tools for this is worship, sacrifice, and honestly, uh, in honor to this series, partying. He wanted his people to come together and worship him and do it together. Um, As the series draws to a close over the next few weeks, I want you to take a look at these topics we're talking about, these festivals you may have never heard of um, and look at them as these meadows uh, these chances to pause and say what did God want us to see Uh, and recognize the God who brought you, the God who chases you and the God who created parties for you Uh, and if you're here today uh, and you've never considered that fact um, you've never considered the fact that this is a a temporary home uh, let me tell you uh, our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, and as a citizen of heaven, we are ambassadors here. Uh, and we are here to, to tell people who God is, but ultimately we know that at some point uh, our time here ends and we go home. And we look forward to that. And we're not rushing to the finish line. And we're not trying to get there as fast as we can because we believe we are in a meadow. We believe there's something special here. Uh, but that same God wants that for you. Uh, and if that's something you're interested in, I'd love to talk to you after the service. Let's pray. Hey, God, it's Jake. I think it's easy to get caught up here. To get caught up in what I'm doing. And as I looked at the pages of scripture, that was the story of everyone in there, too. God, thank you for giving me reminders. Uh, thank you for recognizing that I, I am in need of touch points to remember who you are uh, and that I belong to you. Uh, God, thank you for your son uh, and the fact that my citizenship is in heaven. that you've promised eternity. God, thanks for doing that for me. And thanks for doing that for us. Uh, It's in your name we pray. Amen.